This is Talk To Me. The official podcast of MetalNexus.net. Your host, Joshua Toomey, bring you epic rants, anecdotes, and interviews with heavy hitters from hardcore A new life begins! to hair metal. This is Talk To Me. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Talk To Me, the official podcast of MetalNexus.net. Make sure to head over to MetalNexus.net and check out all the news, reviews, interviews, and the archives of the Talk To Me podcast. This is episode 157. Can you believe it? 157 of these gems are out there for you. Uh, guest this week, Rob Rivera of Nonpoint. We catch up with him, talk about the new album X that will be out August 24th. And then uh, I interview a friend of mine, Jeremy Owsley, who drives tour buses for all of the rock stars out there. And he gives great stories about hanging out with Dave Mustaine, how Marilyn Manson treats his tour buses. Uh, We go into our past because every rock star I met as a kid, I met with Jeremy Owsley. So we talk about the first time we met Pantera. We talk about the time that we met Metallica. We talk about meeting Life of Agony. We talk about so much stuff. So it's a definite interview that you guys need to check out. One of my favorites on here. And uh, I'll definitely need to get Jeremy Owsley on the podcast more often because he is a treasure trove of stories. And, you know, I, I he made me remember things. I helped him remember some things and uh, we bounced off each other very well. So after Rob Rivera, stick around for my chat with Jeremy Owsley. I've got a lot of uh, audio on this podcast already between songs and interviews. So I'm going to keep this short and sweet. So we all know about the Rock and Pot Expo, August 25th, Nashville, Tennessee at the Nashville Palace. I will be live on stage with Head from Corn talking about his upcoming documentary. There will be Decibel Geek will be doing a live podcast. Cobras and Fire podcast will be there. So many great musicians are going to be there. Not Vinnie Vincent's not going to be there, thank goodness. And uh, people are getting announced every day. So much stuff. So make sure to follow the Rock and Pot Expo on Facebook to see all of the upcoming guests and I've, I've seen a few people that have not been announced yet so it's it's awesome it's gonna be great so many great podcasts so many great guests you're gonna have a great time so make sure to get down to nashville on august 25th at the nashville palace for their nashville rock and pot expo 2018 one guy that will be there is scott bowling of uh good company with bowling our good friend over there on youtube make sure to check out his channel see interviews with head from corn he just released his Sunny from POD episode, upcoming episodes with Jose Mangan, Eddie Trunk, Rich Ward. So make sure to subscribe to his channel and so you don't miss a single episode. And also go back into the archives of Scott's great show that is very well shot, very well produced, shot and produced by the same guys that do all of the stuff for DDP Yoga. That should be enough said right there. But uh, in the archives, you got Corey Lowry, Clint Lowry, LeJean Witherspoon. Like I said at the top, Head from Corn, so many great guests. You got Eric Rogers of Stereo Mud going through the history of that. And it's just a fantastic show. So check it out. Good company with bowling, our good friend Scott Bowling. And make sure to let him know that the Talk To Me podcast sent you. I also got sent in the mail today my copy of uh, New Metal Resurgence, the book by our good friend Matt Carp over there at the Head for the Barricade podcast. I had him on the episode with Morgan Lander of Kitty. 
Uh, he was talking about the book coming out. He sent me a copy. I got two copies today, one for myself and one to give away to a listener. And sometime this week, I will come up with the greatest plan ever invented on the entire planet of how to give this book away because I know I'm going to need you to share something. I'm going to need you to leave a review on something, tag a few friends and something. Got to do something to make, uh, make it worth my while to send out this fabulous book. I did a unboxing video of me getting my copy in the mail. Um, and it was just really great to see. It's, it's so cool to start the show, talk about Primer 55, talk about all of the things that happened in my past. Matt reaches out, wants to, you know, is doing a new metal book about over 120 bands. And uh, he picked out a few people to interview. And I was one of those people. And I am beyond grateful to be a part of this book so hopefully you guys will check it out. Got a nice smiling picture of myself in there too from my Primer 55 days. Very well done, man. I read it today and you know I have to say, just very grateful to Matt Carp for throwing me in his book. So I'll give that book away at some point. So make sure you're make sure you're following on all the socials at Talk To Me Talk on Twitter, Talk To Me Talk on Facebook, Talk To Me Podcast on Instagram. And I will announce the contest how you get this book. But you know, you'll definitely want to get this book. Because it's amazing. So New Metal Resurgence, I will get my copy out sometime this week, autographed by Matt Carp, and I'll even throw in my autograph in there too if you want it. So I'll send that out sometime uh, sometime this week. Yeah, so let's get into Rob Rivera's pick from the kits. Let's talk to Rob Rivera of Nonpoint this week about their upcoming album X out August 24th, and then we will chat with my good friend and uh, running mate back in the day, Jeremy Owsley, about some great stories. So let's check out all this stuff. I will talk to you at the end of the episode. Enjoy. What's up, everybody? This is Rob Rivera from the band Nonpoint. This is my weekly Rob's Pick the Kit here on the Talk to Me podcast. And today we're going to pick a, one of the most underrated bands to ever exist uh, called King's X. Um, <clears throat> they've been out here still to this day out here doing their thing, releasing records, playing shows, Definitely the, probably the best harmonies you'll ever hear in your life, and three of the best musicians to ever exist. So definitely check this track out. It's called Over My Head, King's X.
And on the line we have Rob Rivera, man. What's up, Rob? Not much. How you doing, buddy? Oh, you know, not not uh, not doing as well as you being in uh, being in California. Yeah, it's beautiful here, and uh, we're heading now to Venice Beach. I'm currently in an Uber. Nice. Who are you heading with? It sounds like Beach. sounds like a couple of people with you. Uh, I got uh, Elias and Rashid and my bass player Adam and my tour manager Justin are all here with me. Man, everybody's going. Family yeah. affair. <laughs> yeah, well, we've never been down there, so you want to kind of check it out. Nice. So, how's this tour going with Witcher Babies? Uh, pretty good. Uh, we're in the last stretch. We got three more shows. Uh, got LA tomorrow, Vegas, and Mesa, Arizona. Then we're done. But the tour's been great. Uh, very long, very long stretch of shows, and uh, it's definitely been killer. Yeah, I mean, no, normally for uh, for tours, you know, it's normally four weeks, six weeks, but this seems like it was a couple of months. Yeah, it was almost almost close to two, I think. Yeah, crazy. Any, uh, any shows stand out? Um, shows that stand out. Uh, Lubbock, Texas, then. It was really cool. Very old school uh, type of show. A lot of crowd surfing and stuff. Uh, Rocklahoma also uh, was killer. Who'd you play with on the on that day? I know wasn't it like Poison headline that day? Yeah, we played like the hair metal day. Like Lynch Mob played after us and. And uh, but uh, Machine Gun Kelly uh, headlined the the stage we were on. Oh, nice! Which is very interesting. Well, I know you were loving it though. I mean, you love the the hair metal stuff, so I mean, I'm sure you stuck around to watch all the bands. I saw I saw a little bit of Poison. It was really cool. I watched all of Cheap Trick actually. Cheap Trick was really cool. Yeah, you could definitely add that to the bio now. You know, Non Point has toured with you know all these bands and now played with Poison. Yeah, I can definitely say that now <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Knock that off the bucket list. Yeah. So the new album. When's the new album uh, officially due? Is there a date yet? Uh there is. We've been there August twenty fourth. Oh, August uh, the projected date for it. Yeah. Nice. And how's the uh, listening party's been going? Really cool. Very positive. Everybody's uh, really digging the direction that we're going. I mean, not really nothing. It's a little, I guess, on the heavier side. Yeah. More the aggressive aggro non point side, which. Uh, it's been a welcome. Uh, they've been welcome that style back, and fans are very excited about it. And we've been we've been playing two new songs on the tour. One called Dodger Destiny, and another one called Wheel Against Will. And uh, they've gone over really, really well. It's always tough to play new songs live because you know fans aren't necessarily uh, you know used to them. So if they're going over well live, then that's always a positive uh, positive outlook. 
Sorry, my door was open in the Uber. I almost died. <laughs> <laughs> it was literally open. <laughs> yeah, I was leaning on it, ready to go out of it. Well, this would have been, would have been the best uh, interview I've had the last interview yeah. with Rob Rivera. <laughs> it would have been your first death on a podcast. <laughs> nice. Yeah. But no, getting back to it, I mean, you know, playing new songs live, fans don't necessarily, uh, you know, know the songs. So, you know, if they're going over well live, then they must be good. Well, yeah, it's always tricky to play new songs that people haven't heard, but Elias really knows how to get these people pumped up and for certain parts. So it's like they've, you know, by the first chorus, they're already kind of like digging, you know, what's going on. And I said, Elias really pumps up the crowd when it comes to certain parts of the song and they've really been active with the new songs it's been very very refreshing to see now i know with the x listening parties you were allowing fans to hear the album early um what was kind of the takeaway from the fans there uh, they've been very positive you know they've really uh you know online they've gone and talked very positively about the songs they've gotten to listen to they usually listen to like the first eight okay but, uh you know however long it are VIP is like a half an hour, so they get to listen to almost like the first seven or eight songs. But and uh, the what we do is we let them start, you know, by themselves with my with our merch guy, and then we kind of come in. So we kind of, you know, they get to listen to maybe the first five without us there, so they can really listen to it, you know, instead of us trying to talk over the music and stuff. But they've been uh, very positive, for sure. Getting kind of getting that first reaction from fans, you know, what's the um you know, were there parts you thought might go over better that aren't going over as well, or are there certain parts that people are latching onto that you didn't expect, anything like that? No, they basically said it's, it's very, it's, we like the heavier direction. That's what a lot have been saying. So it, it's, uh, they've been latching onto the heavy stuff. And this is being the second album with BC. Have you let him kind of spread his wings and uh, maybe noodle in the guitar a little bit more than uh, the last album? Uh, he's like pretty much he branched out a lot on this record. I think he found himself with us. You know what I'm saying? Like the first record was like here with him was like here's a collection of songs or whatever. But uh, the second record we kind of like decided here this is what we want to do. We kind of had more like a plan instead of where instead of doing that with him on the first one he just gave us a bunch of songs and we just kind of worked them. But this one we were like very focused and he kind of showed like he really spread his wings big time, like on the songwriting side. And then, uh, and his solos are extremely memorable on this record. Like a lot of them, I can hum them, you know what I'm saying? Like I can actually sing the solo, which to me is the best kind of guitar solo when you can actually hum a solo. Oh yeah. So it's, That's uh, it's been, it's been really cool. And he's definitely, like, you know, it's, he's feel, he, we're very comfortable, you know, with where we're at writing-wise. So kind of prior to this year, I mean, the, the word from the non-point camp was you guys were taking the year off and, and not only, you know, or taking some time off, and not only did you not take time off, you wrote a whole new album and uh, you're out doing a big tour right now. Um, you know, what was the change in heart there? Well, we kind of, you know, put it in a way where, yeah, we definitely want to take time off, but we always are working no matter when we take time off, that means time off from the road. Doesn't mean time off from work actually working. So we uh we already had all the songs, you know, we're like and that way we didn't have to answer any questions like when you're playing here, what's going on. Like just told me what this over time. During that whole time off there was actually no questions asked from fans. You know, a lot of fans asked, What are you guys doing? 
like when are you playing here, et cetera, et cetera. So no, nobody asked anything, which is very refreshing. We're able to focus on what we needed to do. And uh, we just said, yeah, let's do this. Go record. Let's go on tour. You know, 10 records in, what was the hardest part about writing a whole new album? I mean, after 10 albums, um, you know, what's the writing process like, I guess? I mean, it's, the difference from now to back then is that obviously, you know, people don't live close together anymore. So it's a lot of email stuff. But there's always pressure, no matter if the first record, second record, you always got to outdo everything that you do, you know, so... Uh, and there's, uh, it's, it was difficult. Let's say we were like, how, you know, after 10 records, where do we go? You know, like, what do we do? And, but it, everything came pretty natural, you know, like every, like down to the recording process, everything was very natural. Nothing was stressful. It was really cool. You know, we had a really good time doing this album and we had a great time recording it. So it was really cool. It was actually, once we saw what the collection of songs that we had, we really didn't feel any pressure. You know, we knew that, you know, we were very comfortable where we were going, you know, with, we were comfortable and happy with the songs that we produced, you know, that we put together, but you know, the fans is really what matters, you know, but we didn't like when we finished the record, we didn't have like any doubts or anything. So now you had kind of posed this question a while or a few days ago, and, and I guess we can kind of discuss it and debate it on here, but the, the technical ability versus the superb songwriting, you know, which which yeah. side did you end up, I, I believe you were on the uh, superb songwriting uh, side over an actual, just a, a technical album. I mean, I mean, uh, technical records, I mean, they're great too, you know, but I think, you know, like a like a simple beat is something that stays around forever. You know, like it doesn't. There's a lot of great drummers that do a lot of cool stuff, but most likely you're not going to remember that stuff within five minutes. You know, like it's because it's just so much involved. Like you, you can listen to a ACDC beat, and I'll remember. I mean, still to this day, I know the Highway to Hell beat. <laughs> right. You know, but but there's other bands that you know. I'm not going to name any other bands, but there's bands that do a lot of crazy stuff that I could not sing a lick of. <laughs> so right. to me, I think it's about the song instead of like like a bunch of notes and a bunch of guitar fills. I mean, fills and drum fills and stuff like that. Well, I think when it comes down to it, I think, I think musicians will appreciate the technical ability, but you know, the, the average fan, they just want to hear a really good song that, you know, they can, like you said, home along to. So I, I think I think I, I side with you on that. I think I side on the on the uh, superb songwriting side. Well, I mean, I think the less is more approach is like the best approach myself. You know? I thought it was funny, though, too, on your feed, you know, you people were chiming in and like you had some some heavy hitters chiming in, like uh, Dave Draymond was chiming in. Jeff Scott Soto chimed in at one point. I mean, every the debate went on and it got pretty hairy there for a minute. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's. I mean, you do have to have technical ability to write good songs too. But I mean, like I said, you can tell that to Nirvana. You know, <laughs> right, pretty much right. showing that you don't have to have technical ability to write incredible music. Another thing I saw on this tour is it seemed like you had a ton of old friends coming out of the woodwork to see this tour. You know, every time I turned around, you were posting like, man, I've known this person for 25 years. It's so great to see them. And uh, a lot of your fans are starting to bring out their kids and stuff. How how surreal is that for you that, uh, you know, fans that you've known for so long are now bringing their kids out to shows? It's pretty cool. I mean, that's what I hope that they would do. You know, that's uh, and definitely it's cool to see like our old guitar player Dave came to the show with his daughter and his wife. And that was nice. You know, that was 
nice to catch up. But it's just cool that to know that I still have so many friends out there after so many years. Yeah. You know, that come out and still enjoy the show. You know, it's been really cool and, and, and I definitely am looking forward to seeing them all again. With this tour, you with uh, Butcher Babies, you were co headlining. So one night, you know, Butcher Babies would close. One night, you would close. What did you enjoy more? Did you enjoy, you know, having another band after you? Or and, uh, that actually didn't bother me. I, I kind of enjoyed um, both. It didn't matter because we were playing pretty early, you know. Like so, when we were closing, I think the latest we played maybe was ten o'clock. Oh wow! So which is great, you know, for people who go to for, for people who work during the week. You know, that they still, we played an hour, so by 11 we were done. And that was, still gives people ample time to get home and get enough sleep. No, unless you're waking up at 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Right. So, but uh, that's really cool that, you know, that we were able to play earlier. Plus, we're older guys, you know. I don't want to play at 11 o'clock at night, you know. <laughs> I want to be in bed. But, uh, yeah, dude, uh, it's really cool. I mean, I I, mean, I I didn't mind. Yeah, I think I think playing before is really cool because you have more time to hang out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But since we but since we played early, it didn't bother me either because we still had enough time to hang out. We were done by 10:40, which was great. Yeah, get done, get to hang out with the fans, and then uh, you know, get in your bunk and go to bed. It's always it makes for oh, yeah, a good. Yeah, I mean, day. I got I was in my bunk by by midnight. You know, I was already done, so I was great. And I was great to sleep. You go sleep a little bit early sometimes. You know. Most headline shows you have to start like at ten thirty, you know, and I didn't want to start at ten thirty. He said, well, "We wanted to start a little bit earlier, you know." So, right, it was right. cool. Uh, one thing we've talked about, you know, you and I have talked about in the past on here was, um, you know, fans knowing that you love to collect vinyl and people bringing you vinyl. What uh, what good stuff have you gotten on this tour? Oh man, I got a lot of death metal stuff, Morbid Angel. I got uh, a lot of classic rock, and yeah, I think out of all the vinyls, I may have bought like five like at an actual store everybody else brought me all these collections i got a lot of hair metal stuff like britney fox and winger and all this cool stuff you know it, it was really fun man to see all that and i mean i was very surprised that these people actually wanted to give me their collections i kind of didn't even want to uh to take it from them but they were like yeah you know we appreciate the sacrifice you do for us and leaving your family behind to play and it's kind of like a reward i guess in a way it's just so weird that that you know and uh, and it's just been a moss without these fans i would not have the, the killer collection that i have now so i'm pretty stoked yeah i was definitely jealous when i saw the photo of uh i think it had chaos ad and roots in it i was like man yeah this guy yeah this guy gave me chaos ad and roots unopened still sealed Jesus. And I was like, wow, I was so blown away because I've been wanting those two for a while. I only have like, uh, I think I only have Benita Remains. I don't know if I have Chaos City at home, but I was very excited to get that. So it was cool. So right, uh, so right now we're in Venice Beach and it just looks exactly like it did on TV. <laughs> <laughs> is that, <laughs> are there people really working cool. out somewhere? Have you seen that yet? There's people working out. There's people playing basketball. There's like a skate park. Someone go by you on really- rollerblades? Yeah, really cool. Yeah, with people in rollerblades on little scooters, and it's really cool. So when you um, tour, do you, you like to be the guy that goes and checks out the scenery, or you like to kind of uh, hang out? No, back? That's, that's more my bass player. The only reason I came out here is because I have never been here. But uh, my bass player likes to do – he is the he is like the – The sightseer? The, the sightseer, yeah. I'm not really much of a sightseer, so. Nice. But this area is pretty cool, so. I definitely, I'm definitely enjoying this right now. 
You know, I was kind of going back and listening to Nonpoint the last couple of days, you know, just kind of getting back in the frame of mind. And the, and the one thing that I think is cool, and I do appreciate you coming on each week and doing your pick from the kit, but, yeah. you know, the one thing that I always kind of forget is how big of a fan I am. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like, oh, yeah, like this dude does this every week, but it's also cool because, you know, I went back, I was listening to Statement today, and, and wow. like the song <laughs> Endure, man, I just, I, I forgot just how much I listened to that back in the day. Yeah, we're actually playing that on the current tour too. So it's a good song. Which, uh, yeah, it's 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 that song brings me a lot of memories of Ozfest because we recorded that video on Ozfest. Oh yeah, and that was that was so awesome. So the um, you know, kind of going back with Nonpoint, you know what what got you guys together and what kind of steered you in this direction? Because I know you have a a super metal background, but you know what made you want to play the Nonpoint style of music. Well, I mean, I, I was the cool thing about it is, is with Nonpoint is we're able to bring, we're all able to bring whatever style we wanted into the band, you know. So it, it's I'm able to do my thrash stuff, I'm able to do my hardcore type stuff, but then you know we play all the other stuff too that everybody enjoys. So it's pretty cool, you know. I, I enjoy what we're doing. I've always loved, you know, different styles of music. So and I'm glad that we're able to uh, to put it together into one into one band, you know. What what year did Nonpoint come together? What t- what year did you and Elias hook up? Uh, ninety seven. Ninety seven. So roughly, it's been now. We're entering our twenty first year together. What was the first label that signed you guys? Uh, MCA. And how did that come together? Uh, our old manager Jason Beeler knew the A and R guy there, and he came down to see us and enjoy what he saw he wanted us to continue to work with jason and uh you know and uh write songs so we got together and wrote some songs and you know a couple months later we had a deal nice yeah it was it was pretty flawed it was pretty easy you know jason uh you know just not easy to say hey we got we had the hook of it we had to write the songs to get it you yeah know, we, did, we didn't when he initially saw us they continue to write songs i think like maybe uh seven months later we actually signed the deal wow so, and then we went right in the studio to do statement and then what a day was the first was that the first single off the album yeah so we, we released mind trip too as a just a video but okay. what a day was the actual first single that actually went to radio it seemed like that song kind of picked up steam really quick didn't it yeah yeah things happened pretty fast for us back then i mean we're on a lot of tours did the ospes we're now with a lot of different bands so yeah we uh yeah, I, I can't say it went pretty quick, but yeah. So. All right. Uh, you know, this being the 10th album, the new album, uh, is it is it called X or is it called 10? What are we calling it? It's called X, which is a Roman numeral for 10. Right, right. All right, so then, the, you know, the, the album, the 10th album, um, you know, basically 20 years in, um, you know, what what's kept Nonpoint going this whole time? Because a lot of the bands you know, that were around in 97, obviously have fallen off and uh, nonpoint's kind of been one of those that's, that's stuck through. So, well, it's just I, probably the fact that I don't know how to do nothing else. <laughs> so I said, play music. And I, I know, honestly, it's passion. You know, we love what we do. I mean, obviously we've continued despite the, all the changes mm-hmm. in the band, you know, but yeah, I mean, I have no complaints, so I'm pretty happy where we're at. What's the, uh, what's the plan with, with, uh, you know, for the rest of the year? I'm just going to keep touring. You know, we have something coming up in August, which we don't, we're not going to announce just yet, but we're working on some stuff, probably tour for the rest of the year, 
tour all probably half of next year. So that's the plan, just to go support the record. Cool. Do you anything else you wanted to hit before we get off here, so I can let you sightsee? Nah, just uh, just you know, just keep check. Go to nonpoint dot com. Check out the dates. Nonpointstore dot com. Look at all the merchandise and just keep supporting us the best you can. All right, Rob. Well, I appreciate it. And um, do you got you, none of the songs are released yet? Have they? No, nothing's been released, right? No, that's something's gonna be released here probably in about a week or two. So okay, just keep, just keep on the lookout. I'll spin that then. Uh, well, let's go back to statement then. Let's uh, let's let's play a song off a of statement. Which would you like to play? Uh, how about misled? And do you have a story behind that song? Nah, not really. It's just a cool, cool time. <laughs> so. All right, Rob. Well, enjoy Venice Beach, and, uh, and we'll keep uh, checking in with you each week on the Rob's Pick from the Kid. Hi, brother. Take care.
right, guys, we got one of my all-time best friends on the line. We got Jeremy Owsley, one of my oldest, dearest friends, and uh, concert goer. And if you've ever seen a photo of me online with a with a famous rock star, Jeremy probably took it, and I owe him so much for just having a camera back then. And I know that sounds crazy today for someone carrying a camera with them, but uh, but yeah, man, all those old photos of me with Worth Rockstars is taken by my friend Jeremy Owsley, and Jeremy's on the line, hey, man. With a one ten, with a one ten camera. <laughs> yeah, that thing was thing a was crazy. Wind up one ten. Our our pictures with Pantera at the yep. Renaissance Hotel. Always good stuff, man. How you been, dude? Man, things are going good. I'm staying busy this year, man. I've uh, been out with the Vin Sevenfold tool. Uh, just got through with a boy bander guy named Harry Styles. So, oh, wow. Uh, Jesus Christ. Oh, yesterday I did a local thing for Joan Jett, so that was kind of cool. Wow. Yeah. Man, look at you. Every time you turn yeah, on. Yeah, the uh, the in the tour, the career path you chose was driving tour buses. And uh, so, yeah, every time I turn around, I, you send me a text of, hey, I'm driving this or I'm driving that or I'm driving Megadeth. And here is a photo of David Ellison holding a photo of you holding his coffee. So uh, I think it's hilarious, <laughs> man. I have about 10 pictures of that. I need to send you the rest of them because we tried and my iPad was so bright it was drowning out. And oh. Ellison finally was like, well, you know what, dude? Let's do this. Let's turn the light down and it'll make a better picture. And I thought he was crazy, but I tried it and it made the perfect picture. It's like, boom, and there it is. So you t- <laughs> so not only did he have to sit through one of those, he had to sit through 10 of those? Oh, there's, well, 10's a little exaggerated. I probably about six, really. Man, well, either way, man, I was, I, I just assumed he was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm having to take a picture of holding a picture of a friend kind of thing. Yeah. And, and dude, David Ellison is one of the rock stars, one of the few many that you and I have both had encounters with when we were kids. Mm-hmm. And then now adults, I remember having a conversation with him and saying, my friend Josh that I grew up with, had my first real established rock band with is now got this very successful podcast where he's interviewing guys like you and he remembered you. Oh, wow. That's crazy. And I brought up Mike Howe yeah. from Metal Church, brought, told him you were an old friend of mine, and he knew exactly who you were because he said you were one of the first press interviews he came out and done. Oh, so, wow. So he knew exactly who you were. I didn't I didn't realize I was one of his first, man. That's crazy. Yeah, I yeah. remember getting the offer for that interview. It was like, would you like to interview Mike Howe of Metal Church? And I almost jumped out of my skin because of, you know, how <laughs> often I listened to the Human Factor and Blessing in Disguise back in, you know, 92. <laughs> Dude, same here. If I could take a few minutes to tell you my story about meeting him. Was yeah, go ahead. Our first day on the Metal Church Megadeth tour, I'm driving the band bus for Megadeth. We pull up to the gig and park. And uh, as I get parked, I realize my shore power cord wasn't, long enough to reach the building. So I had to go knocking on Metal Church's bus door to borrow their shore power cord. (laughs) (laughs) Knock on the door, and who is the first guy to come answering and opening the door is Mike Howe. Wow. (laughs) So so I was like, Mike, I'm here to borrow your shore power cord, but also I'm a long-time fan. (laughs) So so Mike grabs the shore power cord, and he he helps me carry it over to my bus, and we're having conversation, and he's – couldn't believe i knew what i knew i was naming off song titles and telling him i saw him in 1992 <laughs> and uh we had some some great times on that tour he learned my name first day of the tour and every time i'd see him he'd be hey jeremy what's up so we'd talk and hang out and uh kind of the funny thing was all the guys from metal church were sitting at their table and catering one day and i walked in and they were all like jeremy because so i don't really think <laughs> i had cool. the code to their bus i could just you know 
hang out with the metal search guys anytime I wanted, you know, they were really cool to me. And we're sitting there hanging out. And one of the packages they did on this new album was you could, uh, pay this big price. I, I don't remember what it was, but you get like an autographed copy of the album and you get a personalized phone call from Mike Howe. Okay. Well, I did the album package, but I did the signed album. I didn't do the phone call. <laughs> so we're sitting there one day and I'm, uh, talking with them at their table but to give you a little bit of backstory we were at a casino called the sands in bethlehem pa and i was on the phone to my mom and mike Howe just happens to come walking by and i tell him my mama drugged me to a concert well i drug her to a concert to see y'all when i was 15 and she took me and my little brother you know to come see you guys live would you say hi to her on the phone and Mike was like, well, absolutely. So Mike come and said hi to my mom on the phone. <laughs> it was really, really very nice of him. It was great. And uh, so we're sitting there at the table, and I'm, they asked me, because it was, I think, the last day of the tour. They go, do you have, did you bring anything? You know, you want to get us to sign? Did you bring any of your old records or anything? And I said, no, I didn't. I go, I got the new record, but you guys already signed it for me. I bought the <laughs> autograph package, autograph you know, album package, and they go, oh, you didn't do the phone call package for Mike Howe? And Mike Howe said, no, his mom got the phone call. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and everybody awesome. at the table, like, must sell laughing, think Mike was making a joke at me. And I was like, no, but he's serious. He didn't talk to my mom on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> but Mike's a great dude, man, and he is still killing it live, man. Those guys are just on fire still, man. You know, Mike Howe lived in Nashville for all those years, and we probably passed him and didn't even know it. That's true, and he wasn't doing a lot those years. One of the first questions I asked him was just like you in your podcast was, "What the heck have you been doing, Where man?" Been? And he was like, "He was like, dude, I've been raising my two boys, and he's living in is it Eureka, California? I think where he lives now. Like that, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, he was uh, not really doing anything in the public eye. But I was glad to see him back because man, he still got it. Still sounds great. Still looks great. Still a great front man. Just gets out there and rocks the crowd, man." So, really proud to see those guys back out and killing it, man. So the one thing I always talk about in the show is, is you know, I got to meet so many of my heroes as a kid. And the one person I met all of those people with was you. You know, we made, we almost made it a game to to find the rock stars kind of thing. And, um, you know, one of my <laughs> one of my fondest memories looking back now is, you know, the night that we stalked out the Renaissance Hotel in Nashville to, to meet Pantera. And we were at that hotel for... 12 hours it had to have been all through the night just like just going up and down hallways going up and down the elevators and it, it just never we never found anybody and then i think we eventually found big val well you're exactly right and we had he, a great like two hour conversation with him he too. was so <laughs> nice that he was just sitting in the lobby you know kind of just doing some paperwork or whatnot and he started talking to us and he was like if you guys are cool you know, they'll be cool with you guys and blah, blah, blah. Just don't freak out kind of stuff. And, and finally, man, I, I think I went to the bathroom and I'm peeing in a urinal and all of a sudden Jeremy busts open the door and he's like, it's dime bag. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and and I run out man, and there in, and right there, diamond veneer are, uh, checking out of the hotel or whatnot. And, you know, that's where we got some of our, uh, our first photos with Pantera. The, you're exactly right. And I remember one of the first questions I ever asked Dimebagger goes, the razor blade you're wearing around your neck, is that real? Is that sharp? And he goes, well, why don't you touch it and see for yourself? <laughs> so I remember reaching over and playing with his little razor blade he was wearing around his neck. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So good, man. 
they yeah. were uh, so nice to us. I remember Big Val was like, you guys want to meet the band? Just 4.30. Be down here and be cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, yeah. and they were they, they were a very fan-friendly band. I remember multiple times you and I doing the hotel hangout or the after show passes. We would My dad had scored through their bus driver, Tony Wiggins. You remember that night? Oh, yeah. Man, so much fun times with those guys, and so many fun times. You know, one of my favorite concert venues in Nashville was 328, and you know, you yes. and I knew that if we just hung around the back door at 328, eventually, you know, the 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 band had to go from the bus to the venue at some point. And man, we we staked out and met so many people like Peter Steele and and uh, you know the Life of Agony guys, and uh, you know, so many bands. It's just like looking back on it, it's crazy. Yeah, dude, and multiple uh, Life of Agony shows. I, I remember those just being incredible, incredibly awesome. I mean, those guys, I'll never forget, man, 106 degrees in August, <laughs> Life of Agony and Anthrax, and Joey Z, man, would, you guys cool? You guys all right? He'd go up on the bus. I remember bringing you and me, like Mountain Dew, Dr. Peppers, just because mm-hmm. he knew it was hot, and he knew we weren't going anywhere. <laughs> you know, we were fans. We were going to stand by that bus as long as we got to, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's so crazy, just... You know, how that, you know, even the night that we met Metallica and, uh, you know, just weird stuff like that would always just like, it always seemed to just happen to us. You know, we would be standing in the right spot at the right time. And, and you know, we had friends of friends that could get passes and stuff. And, and you know, basically the, the night that, uh, you know, on the shit hit the sheds tour in 94, you know, the... Um, a, a friend's mom came out with a couple of backstage passes for us and you know we ran back in there and i think you you know i feel, I feel like you probably still have a you know a a heineken glass or something from lars that night i, I have a miller light ice can miller light. There it is. From miller lars light. that night and i don't even believe they make miller light ice anymore <laughs> that was he, great uh, that night was so awesome dude he was like signing autographs and mary our friend's mom was like dude, why don't you just sit right there next to him? There's nobody sitting there. So I just sat right beside him. I remember somebody brought the old metal militia on vinyl. Oh, nice. The one before Metallica was on it, the one Lars got an executive producer credit when he was only like 16. Mm -hmm. And he's like elbowing me and he goes, hey, look at this thing, man. Like showing it off to me. I was like, (laughs) oh my God, is this really happening? (laughs) And uh, I remember talking to Lars and it was like the first tour he was doing where he was playing a smaller drum set. He okay. took down the two, you know, large rack toms and was just playing the little two toms up top. And I said, man, y'all play Disposable Heroes tonight? It seemed like you were, you know, kind of struggling with just the two rack toms up top, you know. Uh, <laughs> you ever going to go back to the big kid again? And he was like, I'll tell you what. And he pointed at me and I was like, Jeremy, he goes, I'll tell you what, Jeremy, next time we're in Nashville, I'm going to have the guy set up the big kit for you. Would that make you happy? <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget, man. That that night, I, I I always wore. I feel like I always wore a Megadeth shirt, and I had my Megadeth shirt on, and and I get handed a backstage pass, and I'm wearing a Megadeth shirt, and I'm like, oh shit, you know. And I think you handed me your like a a, a white Metallica shirt that you're like, just get this on oh, for me. I just bought that night. Yeah, yeah you're, right. I, you're like, put this on, and I put it on, and uh, I met all the guys, and and I remember Jason <laughs> signing my shirt, and he's like, I was like, man, Jason, I just want to, you know. Th- Thank you for everything. I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm a huge fan, and I'm a bass player too. And he looked up at me, and he was like, "Oh, you're a bass player too, huh?" And he took the sharpie and stabbed me with it. So. Oh yeah, I do remember <laughs> you telling me about. It. I I still have the shirt. Uh, 
I've got it in my room and I've never framed it or anything because I'm still missing Kirk Hammett's autograph. Yeah, he was supposed to be from 1994. Yeah. As soon as I get Kirk's autograph, then I'll frame <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but Jason was cool. And James that night, too, man, James was like holding court. I remember he just had everybody around him and uh, just talking and stuff. And that's the one thing that was always, always so great about that band. And even to this day, you know, I feel like Metallica is still that band that'll play a, a small venue and uh, be your friend and stuff. And, and, I don't know, man. They just don't seem like rock stars to me. They never have. Yeah, man. They, they're definitely doing it right. In, in my opinion, you know, there's many out there that disagree with us, but they're, they're music lovers too. And a very, very fan friendly band. And they've always been a band that it's been fun to be a fan of theirs. Cause they always do what you don't expect them to, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're going to tour in 1994. I was like, no way. It'll never happen. They just finished a grueling three year tour for the black album. They're not going to tour this summer. <laughs> I remember seeing advertisements going, well, I must not know what I'm talking about because here they come this summer. <laughs> you know, they are going to tour. And another thing that we saw them at was the uh, the, the 2007 or 2008, whatever, uh, the secret show at the basement um, right before Bonnaroo. You know, that was crazy to see. Yeah, and what a historic night. And were, were you there? Do you remember what I said to Lars? I asked him, I go, hey, Lars, you think we get a Metallica record a little more often than once every seven years? <laughs> and he like looks up at me and he goes, dude, I'm trying, man. <laughs> I remember. Uh, I kind of felt bad about asking him that after that. I got down there. And like, then they took eight years for the next record. Right. So, so it's probably your fault. It's probably, the ne- you know, he probably played with the big kit because of you. And he also probably waited eight years for the record because of you. So way to go, Jeremy. Yeah, I know. I know. That's so funny. Well, it's funny is I got down there right as they were playing like started Seek and Destroy, which is what they closed with. Cause it was, you know, a secret show. Nobody knew about it. And I got, right. I got there and they were, they were playing fuel. I got tipped off by a friend that knew someone inside. And yeah. I was actually downtown doing our hotel thing, <laughs> you know, staking out the hotels, looking for Metallica. And then I got the text that said, uh, said Metallica about to go on stage at the basement. I was like, what? And I go, well, that does sound like something they would do. Yeah. So I remember driving over there as quick as I could and seeing like, 20 metro cop cars and i go oh my god i guess it's real (laughs) yeah they yeah they in they each had their own bus at the at the basement which is you know like a club for like 100 people yeah yeah exactly and there was only like 100 people in there and i heard it was like 120 (laughs) degrees i didn't make it inside but from the alleyway there i heard fuel when i got there they were i think fuel was the second song they did that night so yeah, I got a, I got up there. They were playing Seek and Destroy. I could kind of like see in. I saw a little bit of it, but from where I was standing when the show was over, like James just walks right past me, and the only thing I could think to do was like give him a high five. <laughs> so I was like, uh, "Hey!" And he high fived me and walked on. But I guess he's still like, you know, still crazy to see those guys hanging around. I think Rob Trio exactly. came out for a little bit. Once again, a band as big as them, you know, sitting there and doing that. You know, Kirk Hammett didn't sign that night, but the other three did. And I think that, too, was at a period where they were trying to do a lot of damage control, still bouncing back from the St. Anger and the Napster thing. So I think they were kind of, you know, still trying to build some good public image back up, you know. So they were doing, you know, that that type of stuff. And, uh, yeah, but I remember, yeah, Lars just uh, coming out and signing, hanging out, James and Trujillo, too. I remember Kirk jumped in his SUV and took off, but (laughs) the other three hung that night. It was really cool. Another thing, um, you know, you actually went to my first ever concert with me was being uh, that Cannibal Corpse show we saw in 94. And another time that we go outside and we go around back of the venue and you're standing there and the, and the a guy is, um, 
he's getting something out of the bottom of the bus. He's a little bit obscured, but you're like, dude, that's Chris Barnes right there. I'm like, how do you know that's Chris Barnes? You're like, because of his shoes. Like you knew it was him because of because you knew what shoes he was wearing, and it was oh, him. Oh, you're right. I forgot about that. So you just he was wearing Air Jordans yeah. on stage, and, and, so, and I recognized he was digging in that. And you're right. I was like, yeah, that was him. So yeah, from the from day one, man, we were uh, we were around back trying to find the bands and stuff, and and uh, you know meeting all kinds of crazy people. Yeah, and three twenty eight now. Uh, for those of you you listeners that are familiar with downtown Nashville, is now the Hampton Inn on Fourth. Yeah, <laughs> but it used to be a tiny little spot where we would go see all these great rock and roll shows. And, oh yeah. And have a great time. Remember, we would always race to the phone booth first thing because the bands would always leave a guitar pick in the phone booth in the <laughs> change slot. Remember? Oh yeah. I think didn't you score an overkill pick? And then another band we caught there, we'd we'd always run in to go check the phone booth like like little kids looking for like you know presents under the tree from Santa. You know, right. <laughs> you'd go. That's crazy, man. Looking back, that Overkill show too, man. There was probably like eighteen people at that show for a <laughs> for a for a venue that holds twelve hundred. You know, and I don't think they've been to Nashville since. Sadly, I think the promoters <laughs> would have thought they wouldn't uh, be buying that show anymore. But that, but it was at a time in the mid '90s there when yeah, metal it was like '94, really... '95. Yeah, that was rough. Yeah, it was, a rough it, was period. it was definitely in the in the height of grunge right there. You know, uh, yeah, it definitely wasn't their time. Bless their hearts, but they still killed it though. Great album, great show. Yeah, hell yeah. Even though there was only 18 people in there, they were still up there <laughs> just wearing the stage out, just rocking it, man. Yeah, there was, um, I think, two people in front of me, and I was in the back of the crowd. So if that tells you how many people. <laughs> That's <are>. exactly right. <laughs> I, I have, I still somewhere have some old 110 photographs from that night. And it's exactly like you said. You're, we were standing by the first set of poles in there, and it's like, <laughs> like you said, three rows back, you know? <laughs> that was one venue, though, when, when 12 Volt Negative Earth actually got some, some steam behind it, and we got to headline there a couple of times. I, I still couldn't believe that we were doing that at that, at that venue. That's so cool, you know, dude. And you went on to have more of a, a musical career than I did. But one of the coolest things I ever remember about this venue for myself mm-hmm. was Scott Shirilla, Reverend Horton Heat, one day. You remember? He told yep. me, he said, get up there and jam on my kid. He wanted to hear it from the room. Okay. So he starts walking around the room wanting to hear the kid. So I started playing the uh, the intro to that Reverend Horton Heat song, Yeah, Right, you know, the double bass <laughs> intro. Nice. And I remember they turned the, the speakers on, and I was just up there just going, oh, my God, am I really on this stage playing and, like, I was feeling the, the subwoofer, the butt kicker, you know, in his throne. And I was like, this is just awesome. I'm playing in 328 and nobody's here. Right. <laughs> you know? Just close your eyes and imagine. Yeah, exactly. But it, to me, that's still my cool moment to say I did get to rock behind a kid at 328 for 30 seconds. Nice. <laughs> you know? I'll, I'll occasionally fall down a rabbit hole on YouTube looking at videos of that of that venue and find I'll find crazy shows on there. Like that Cannibal Corp show is actually on YouTube. And, uh, wow, really? I need to go back and say that bring back so many memories. That's on there, and that um, the Metallica show I was talking about earlier at Starwoods on there on yeah. YouTube also. Which yeah, is crazy. you you sent me some links of that from that before. That's really cool, man. Yeah, whoever was filming that yeah. had to have been like two seats away from me because it was almost the exact angle I was sitting at. So I mean, whoever was filming, yeah, and it was think right about there. it, 1994. Whoever filmed it had one of them big <laughs> shoulder camcorders because that was like all there was back then. Remember? The full VHS tape camcorders you mount on your shoulder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, you funny. know, I might have went on to play music, but I mean, you are living the dream every day. You know, getting to hang around these guys and stuff. Um, you know, like we talked about earlier. You know, you just drove Tool. You just drove Avenged Sevenfold. Um, what 
what kind of got you into driving buses? What what sent you that way? Well, you know, you know, my dad, you know, he had a, a hand in all that. He he did a lot of that and was close friends with Jerry Calhoun, you know, who mm-hmm. many of your listeners might know who he was. He he owned the ranch where of course the plane crash happened where uh, Randy Rhodes uh, unfortunately was killed. Yeah. Um Anyway, so he, you know, dad kind of trained me how to drive one, you know, when, when we were still in high school, I could drive one and could back one. And, you know, and we went to our high school graduation on Winona Judd's bus, remember? That was, I didn't know <laughs> whose bus that was. It's crazy. Yes, I, my high school graduation, I went there on a tour bus. So that's crazy. Yeah, my dad made some calls to some friends and borrowed us a Winona Judd's bus. And in fact, to, to put this in perspective to people when the time was, you may may or may not have been there, but when we got back, we were listening to local Nashville radio and they premiered right after our graduation, they premiered the new Megadeth single trust from their upcoming record, cryptic writings. So I found that to be really cool that, you know, hearing that that night, the night it made its grand radio debut was the night of our graduation. Wow. 1997. What a good year. (laughs) And another cool thing about our graduating class, we were in a graduating class with a presidential child, Chelsea Clinton. Also, uh, Graduated in 1997. Did you know that? I did not. I, I, maybe. You know, I, I might have known that actually. Yeah. I thought that was cool to be in a be in a class with. That was pretty neat. I thought. Well, I mean, if you want to get even more centralized, I mean, we we're in the graduating class with Emmy Award winning directors and whatever else with the the Pisoni brothers. You know, Matt and Scott Pisoni. And what an amazing career they've had. I, and I've talked to them and, and seen them a handful of times, you know, and I'm still Facebook buddies with yeah. them. I don't get to see or talk to them very much anymore, but what a career they have had. Emmy award winning. It's crazy to look back to because, you know, our high school, we had video productions class instead of like shop or whatnot. We actually had a, a, a film studio basically in the school. And when those two dudes showed up at, the, at school, like tw- they're twins, but they weren't identical. They're what fraternal or whatever. But they show up and they knew they they knew more than our teacher, like how everything worked. Like they they knew exactly what they were going to do in life in high school. And and now you know you'll see them posting on Facebook, you know, winning Emmys and stuff for documentaries and crap. I'm just I'm blown away by those guys for for knowing what they wanted to do, chasing what they wanted to do, and ended up uh, succeeding at what they wanted to do. Yeah, look at the talent they had even then, and they into it and they kind of remind me of you and me josh because music was our thing we were into it we were we were going to shows any chance we could to see bands learn more about music uh we were on the same like career path as them they were really into their stuff and i mean those guys knew it (laughs) like you said they knew more than the teacher those guys they they were bred they were born and bred to do that you know that was just their calling and they were all on it from day one and still out there having amazing careers to this day, you know? Yeah. When I had David Vincent of morbid angel on the podcast, I wanted to be like, you know, man, one time in uh, my video productions class, I used uh, some morbid angel as the uh, background music for my interstate batteries commercial, you know, just be say some stupid <laughs> shit like that, but no, it's good. man. So cool. All right. Well, give me some dirt, man. I, I, who is the, uh, who's the, we'll, we'll say who's the messiest band you've ever dealt with on tour messiest uh you know mo- most of them are, are pretty good then when you got messy you got messy uh I, I love whenever i can sling dirt on somebody i love uh slinging dirt on marilyn manson because he <laughs> hands down was probably the the worst artist i've ever worked for in my life 
Was, was uh, he just bad because you know he he destroyed the bus? Was he bad because he was always late? I, was it what was it? Well, I I drove him in 2012, and he was on a co-headline thing with Rob Zombie. Okay. And I got to meet Rob a few times on that tour, and he was such a nice guy. I was like, God, I really like this Rob Zombie guy. I wish I was driving him because <laughs> <laughs> Manson was a handful. He honestly, dude, he was actually really nice to me. All of his behavior, and when he talked to me, he was really nice. But he just. To kind of sum him up, he's a spoiled rotten brat. Like, <laughs> he has guys, like two assistants, and they like, I think they even tie his shoes for him. They they open every door for him, you know, and he's really demanding him what he wants. They were putting me through some really long days and really long hours to go do stupid stuff, like drive to a haunted house immediately after a show <laughs> and immediately after I drove 500 miles to get on there. You know, I just never got to sleep. Wow. Just stupid stuff like that, you know. Um, one one story yeah one one night he, he he and his girlfriend got into an argument so he threw a whole bunch of yogurts out of the fridge onto the floor of the bus just like a child you know throwing a temper tantrum <laughs> and he busts these yogurts and they sit on this hardwood floor all night and when i find them the next morning they're hardened i had to scrape them up from the floor wow so my boss when i called her and told her i go he doesn't respect the bus he's you know he breaks stuff he messes stuff up and spits chewing gum in the sink or chewing gum in the carpet you know it's like he said start writing them receipts write him a hundred dollar receipt for excessive cleaning so i did and his tour manager at the time speaking of pantera was guy sykes oh wow and guy was a great tour manager to work me every dime i asked for for all the stupid stuff he did so (laughs) (laughs) i really hope that i'm not hungry enough to ever have to drive Marilyn manson again but if I do, I guess I'll make a lot of money because I do got to say he did pay for the, you know, stupid stuff he did. So if the excess cleaning bills, they go into your pocket since you had to do it? Absolutely. Yeah. $100 for chewing gum in the carpet, $100 for the yogurt on the floor. It all went into my pocket. If He, he punched out a TV set, but not while I was driving him, but the driver that drove him before me, he punched out a TV and I asked our office, I go, what did y'all charge him for that? And they go, well, he had the TV replaced, and he put the exact same model back in there that he broke. So she said, we didn't, we didn't charge him nothing since he replaced it. So, but I mean, you know, like breaking stuff. I mean, that's. I feel like that's kind of uh, the rock star way, you know. How some, you know, you dep- I guess depending yeah, on what band you, know, you get. Most you know. of them are really good to their buses because you know they got to live on them, right? So they don't want to like be breaking the the fixtures and the things that they use single day, but uh. You know, it, it happens. Uh, I remember Tim Mahoney from 311 one time got locked in the back lounge or something on his bus and he couldn't get out. And so he started freaking out. So he started like beating the switches on the wall till he broke them all, you know, and and they gave Tim a nice little bill for it, which they paid for. Yeah, nice. <laughs> but, That's so yeah. crazy. Um, kind of last couple of things here. You know, the, the one thing that I always think about when I think about you driving people that has to be like one of the scariest propositions on the planet. You know, when you're, when you're in charge of getting Dave Mustaine from like one place to another safely, you know, that's just gotta be a lot of, a lot on your plate because not only is it your job, but you're also a fan. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, you know, we deal with millions of dollars worth of talent every day, driving mm-hmm. up and down the roads. And, you know, it'll sometimes go through my head when this, you know, guy is in and out by the bus on Dave's autograph will be, I once was that guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and my tour manager one day, there was this guy in Rochester, New York, my tour manager's like, okay, I'm fixing to go out here and run this guy off. 
But I had talked to the guy, and he was the groundskeeper at the hotel. And he had seen Megadeth live. He was a real legit fan. He had yeah. seen them live, but it hadn't been for 20 years. So Mike goes, let me go run this guy off and go get Dave. And I said, wait a minute. I go, would just, you know, would you? he actually was cool. And he goes, okay, I'll let him hang. And Dave comes down and walks right up to him, shaking his hand. Wow. And the guy, and I heard the guy tell Dave, he goes, tonight's my first time to see you guys live in 20 years. And Dave said to him, he goes, well, what took you so long? <laughs> And Dave was very friendly and polite to him, you know, and it just, I know what it's like to be that guy standing outside the bus. Well, tell the story about, you know, your Jimmy John story with Dave Mustaine. I like that. Dude, that, yeah, that's definitely one of my favorite Dave Mustaine moments. I, I got word, uh, they were using my company. So, um, I called our, our secretary at the, the driver assignment lady at our company. And I said, Hey, I I heard Megan's leaking for us and I would be very interested in driving them. And she said, uh, okay, she goes, they got two buses. They're taking a star bus for the band and a 12-sleeper bus for the crew. And she said, I already have somebody assigned to the band, but if you want to drive the crew, it's open. So I said, okay, sure. And I got out there, and their crew, a nice bunch of dudes, got along great with everybody. And and I was kind of proud to be there because I knew the band and knew a lot of the insides of the band, you know, being a fan of them for mm-hmm. 30 years now. Right. So anyway, uh, we get out there, and we're – a good bit into the tour, you know, and I had never, I hadn't met Dave yet, but one day in Oklahoma city, he walked by the bus and I was sitting in the driver's seat. He waved at me and I was like, wow, Dave just waved at me. <laughs> so I was like, so he had seen me. He knew we had a day off in St. Paul, Minnesota. And this really nice hotel we were at across the street was a Jimmy John's and being the Jimmy John's fan that I am, I, I headed over there to have me a Jimmy John's and I got my uh, sandwich and I'm, sitting over at my table there and uh dave comes in and it's like winter time i remember he was wearing his blue patagonia jacket and his sunglasses on his hair was all you know up under a knit hat and i was like oh wow, there's dave so dave comes in and i didn't even know if he'd seen me or not he gets a sandwich and he got his uh tray and a sandwich and he came to my table and was like uh you mind if i sit down i was like well no i was kind of shocked that he came to my table he was alone you know no handlers no security no managers just dave and me at the table and uh, he sits down and starts talking and uh you know one of the things we were talking about that was really big in the blabbermouth news and stuff at that time was phil anselmo Mm -hmm. was in all that trouble for them white supremacist remarks he had made on stage and all you know and i remember dave just kind of sitting there and he talked a lot about the Pantera uh, Megadeth rivalry of the nineties. And, you know, that was just one of our first great conversations. And Dave had uh, said to his bus driver at, at the time was a good friend of mine, a guy named chocolate. He had said to chocolate, he goes, man, he goes, Jeremy must be a good bus driver. He goes, all the guys on that bus just love him. And uh, I was like, wow, did Dave really say that? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> and chocolate got a gig uh, working in our shop. He was coming off the road just, you know, work you'd be a mechanic and work on our buses and so he was coming off the road and he said i put in a really good word for dave and dave already likes you so i think he's gonna have you drive him from now on so i was like wow cool so uh and sure enough you know he, dave had called me and uh got to drive him a few times and a couple of tours now and i got along really really great with him man uh he's a he's a heavy metal macho tough guy but in in real life, when you're one of his boys and in his crew, you know, he, he's really good to work for. He he is pretty darn loyal, you know. What you saying that he would just come up and – that is he one of the guys that would come up and sit and ride with you and talk with you and stuff? 
he would ride with me a lot and he would spend like three hours at a time in the jump seat talking. It's insanity. <laughs> he, yes. We, we had some great conversations and he would like ask me things and want to know about my life. He wanted to know, you know, if I own a house, uh, what kind of car I drive, you know, like, you know, just, uh, we would just have some really great conversations about our, our families and, you know, and stuff like that. Not necessarily even, about music but we did have a lot of great music conversations where he told me things and taught me a lot about the business and that's great and uh yeah just and then at the end of the tour he would like give me a big hug and was you know telling me like hey man call me around nashville sometime we'll go to a predators game or something you know like <laughs> you know and the guy's like man imagine hanging out with dave mustaine in nashville it'd be awesome <laughs> you why, know? why haven't you uh you know hooked up you know hit him up for that well, you know, I really haven't because I I try not to text him or, or bother him too much, you know, when we're when we're not on the road. You know, I just I know he's busy doing his thing, and I've been so busy doing mine, I hadn't really had much time. And they're not going to do any dates this year in the U.S. Yeah, that I'm aware of. So I do need to text him, email him, make sure my name stays up with him. You know. Yeah, just just a simple how you doing, man, or something, you know. Yeah, I do need to stay up with him. You are correct. I stay up with Ellison. We, we're email and text buddies, you know, from time to time. Listen, but, uh, man, just give me Dave Mustaine's number. I'll text him and let him know, <laughs> and let him know that you're thinking about him, and uh, I'll, I'll help. I'll help you out. All right. All right. Good. I, I from the headlines I've been seeing lately, I guess there's a Lars Ulrich Dave Mustaine feud back uh, back in the press again. I guess you've seen some of that. Yeah, huh? there always seems to be something going on with those two. Yeah. Another thing about when I would drive Dave, I would never wear Metallica shirts. I would never mention uh, Lars being my hero or anything. <laughs> so, if Dave happens to hear this interview, I hope he uh, <laughs> hope he just disregards this part. But uh, Lars has been my hero since I was thirteen. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But I'm I was sure. like, he probably knows because he knows I'm a rock drummer. He knows Nick Menza was a huge influence on me. We had some great Menza conversations. Jimmy DeGrasso, Sean Drover, you know, we've had a lot of great drummer conversations. So, <laughs> Did you tell him your disdain for Sean Drover? Yeah. Uh, you know, I we did actually talk about that, and I told him about the first time I saw Drover live, I was like, he's left-handed, but he, he plays a right-handed kit, and he plays open arm, which I was like, that's that's insane. It just felt to me like he was dragging the songs and stuff, but, you know, from what I was told by other Megadeth personnel, road crew personnel, was that Dave, that wasn't necessarily Drover's fault because Dave had kind of changed changed up some tempos on things, you know, through the years, like in my darkest hour, for one, you know, that's when they've kind of played around with mm-hmm. the tempo and changed, you know, a lot over the years. So they say, you know, it seems like you could, dra- you could blame a lot of that on Drover's drumming, but it really, you know, it really wasn't. It was just some of those things that just changed, you know, live over the years and you know, that's just, I guess, Sean Drover seemed like he was taking the blame for for a lot of that. But, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he didn't deserve the blame for a lot of that. He, he is a great drummer. He's a very solid drummer. Right, yeah. Right. yeah, it's good stuff, man. Well, Jeremy, man, thanks for taking the time tonight. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll have to do this more often because this was a lot of fun. Yeah, dude, hopefully uh, Tool is going to do a full-scale tour next year. And Danny Terry was, like, all about me being his bus driver next year. So uh, I really right? hope to do them and uh, – Avenged Sevenfold were, were really nice guys. They were great. I drove crew. I didn't drive van, but mm-hmm. they were great. I hope to work for them again one day. And hopefully Megadeth, I guess, uh, they're supposed to start working on a new record, what I hear uh, late this year, early next year. So, uh, 
I look for them to be touring probably 2019 sometime. You know I'm going to be in town August 25th. I don't know if you're in town then or not, but uh, I'll be down there doing the Rock and Pot Expo and uh, you know doing the live interview with uh, Head from Corn and all that stuff. So I'd like to see you down there, dude. If if I'm in town, I'll be there. Uh, I've, they've had me so busy this year that summer tour I'm on I know is over by that point. So I really kind of hope I can can be home and and be there for that because I'd love to see you and the Decibel Geek guys. You know how how I yeah. love the hell out of them. They're really great guys. Oh yeah. Do what? Who who are you driving on the summer? I'm gonna be with Ted Nugent again for the summer. Nice. There you go. Yeah, Uncle Ted. I drove him last year. Really nice guys. Uh, Ted has a has a private jet, so he doesn't ride the bus. Um, he hangs out on it sometimes. You know, in the daytime when the uh, if the dressing rooms are less than par, he'll hang out on the bus. You know, but. Uh, I only had a couple of meetings with him all last summer, but he was just so nice to me. He was like, man, I heard you're doing a great job. All the guys love you. And God bless you, man. (laughs) (laughs) He uh, is a very nice guy. He's been really nice to me. And uh, he's a very easy tour, one bus, one truck. Uh, So, yeah, and we're all really nice guys once again. So they incredible to work for. Well, cool, man. Hey, let's uh, let's let you pick a song to end this with. Uh, pick pick one of your favorite songs, and we'll uh, we'll throw it on here at the end. Oh, okay. Uh, are we talking obscure uh, or, or anything or, you want? Anything I want. Okay. Uh, okay, man. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna reach back in the past and really really uh, grab you with one. One of the songs that made tears come out of my eyes when I was driving the very first time I ever heard it on cassette. The Life of Agony Ugly album. Do you remember the track, How It Would Be? Oh, yeah. It's a great song. I've never in my life heard anybody sing so hard and put so much emotion into it that Keith put into that song. So if you could do us a big favor, Josh, and let everybody hear that. Keith Caputo and Life of Agony and How It Would Be. Let's do it. All right. right. Thank you, brother. Good to (laughs) chat with you. Let's do this way more often and catch up on some old memories. Absolutely, man. It was good talking to you. <clears throat> All right, Josh. Thanks for having me on, dude. Let's uh, let's do this again, man. I, I do. I enjoy being a part of it.
Thank you to Rob Rivera for catching up with us. He had to get, you know, to the to the muscle-bound men and women on Venice Beach. Couldn't hang out too long. We'll have to get him uh, next time he comes through town. Go sit down with him again and have a nice long chat. Also, a huge thank you to Jeremy Owsley for coming on the podcast, telling all kinds of great stories. The man, that guy, can tell stories. What a fantastic dude. And once again, check me out. August 25th, Rockin' Pot Expo, Nashville, Tennessee. Check out the New Metal Resurgence book featuring myself, author Matt Carp. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. And then also, thank you to our sponsor, Scott Bowling and the uh, Good Company with Bowling. Check it out on YouTube. Let him know Talk To Me sent you. So for the Talk To Me podcast, I am Joshua Toomey, and I will talk to you next Thursday.